0: And caring relationships have the power to prevent everyday challenges from becoming more concerning issues like mental illness. The responsibility to renew focus on your own mental well-being begins now. Welcome, my listeners. Let us set the energy of this episode together. You may wish to put your hand on your heart and close your eyes unless you're driving or operating heavy machinery. So take a deep breath in. Hold it for five seconds. And as you exhale, let your thoughts go. Let your past go. Hold it for five seconds. And exhale out loud. Ah. And when you are ready, slowly open your eyes. All right. Well, welcome listeners. And I would like to thank all of you who... Made the time to write to me and I thank you for all the questions that you have and wanting me to give you more practical examples related to some of the theories. So I take all that into consideration and um, I promise you if not this episode um, I will answer some of your questions. So please be patient. So today I wish to talk about our brain. Why? Because it is very important for us to understand how our brain works during our development years and how the brain is interconnected with our body and the possibility of developing certain types of mental illness associated with childhood trauma. I want you to know that we have a thinking body. The body always keeps the score. What does that mean? That means our body understands how life experiences play out in the function and the malfunction of our bodies years later. So whatever happened to us in the past Everything you have experienced, the body knows because the body keeps score. And the recorder of those experiences is our brain. It records every last experience that we've had, even the ones we are not consciously remember that we had. My dear audience, what is so critical for us to understand is as parents, as well as individuals, 50% of all mental illness develops before an individual is 14 years of age. And 75% of all mental illness develops before an individual is 24 years of age. So. What does that mean? That means most of us have experienced things that may have caused us to be ill and unwell in our brains at a very young age. And unfortunately, it's at least a decade from the development of symptoms before We as practitioners see people in our consultation rooms for the treatment of mental health and well-being. Think about that. Yes, a decade. Some may take even longer. Why, you may ask? Because they don't even realize anything is wrong. It happened so long ago that people actually think that's their personality when it is not. You see, there is something that we refer to as a schema. So what is a schema in psychology? Of course, I'm not going to give you a whole lecture on schemas. So if I could simplify it for you, a schema is a mental representation that enables us to organize our knowledge into categories. I'm sure you heard me say uh, once upon a time that our brain likes to take shortcuts. So our schemas help us simplify our interactions with the world. They are mental shortcuts that can both help us and hurt us. We use our schemas to learn and think more quickly. However, some of our schemas may also be stereotypes that cause us to misinterpret or incorrectly recall information. Remember, a schema is a set of preconceived ideas that your brain uses to perceive and interpret new information. We form schemas based on our experiences in life as well. And once they are formed, schemas have a tendency to remain unchanged, even in the face of contradictory information. And needless to say, when that happens, it can be dangerous. That's when our brain can commit crime against us. There are many types of schemas, of course, including object, person, social, event, role, and self Schemas. Schemas are modified as we gain more information. This process can occur through assimilation or accommodation. Okay, at this time, let me give you a simple example of schemas. For instance, when a child is young, they may develop a schema for a dog. They know a dog walks on four legs. Is hairy and has a tail. When the child goes to the zoo for the first time and sees a tiger, they may initially think the tiger is a dog as well. From the child's perspective, the tiger fits their schema for a dog, right? Four legs, walk on four legs, hairy and has a tail. Then the child's parents may explain that this is a tiger and it's a wild animal. And it is not a dog because it doesn't bark, it doesn't live in people's houses, and it hunts for its food. Besides, a tiger does not wag his tail. So after learning the differences between a tiger and a dog, the child will modify their existing dog schema and create a new tiger schema. So as the child grows older and learns more about animals, they will develop more animal schemas. At the same time, their existing schemas for animals like dogs, birds and cats will be modified to accommodate any new information they learn about animals. So this is a process that continues into adulthood for all kinds of knowledge. Now, the challenging part is that, remember, I mentioned earlier about the two processes that can change our schemas. One is assimilation, and I just gave you the example of accommodation. So assimilation is that we tend to cling to existing assumptions and reject or change new information that contradicts them. So using the same example, there is really no reason for the child to assimilate because they are still learning. So when the parents revealed that the tiger is not a dog, which is a new information, which is contradictory to the child's animal schemas, most likely the child will not have challenges in accommodating. That means changing their existing frameworks to make it possible to incorporate discrepant information. However, it is more difficult and threatening, especially when important assumptions are challenged. And let me give you an example when someone comes into my consultation room. Let's say I know I have to bring in a new piece of information to my client that their childhood schemas are actually inaccurate. That can be painful, particularly when trauma was experienced. And it is at that time that they would hang on to their old schemas. That means assimilate. Right? They're going through the process of assimilation rather than accommodation. Of course, our job as practitioners is to help them to accommodate the contradicting information that they just learned from us in order to heal their childhood wounds. And this process makes major therapeutic change a difficult task. Let me now circle back to the different types of schemas. Of course, there are many kinds of schemas that assist us in understanding the complicated world around us, the people we interact with, and even ourselves. Therefore, we call it self-schemas. Self-schemas which help us understand ourselves They focus on what we know about who we are now and who we were in the past and also who we could be in the future. So what about object schemas? They help us understand and interpret inanimate objects, including what different objects are and how they work such as we have a schema for what a door is and how to use it. Our doors schema may also include the different types of doors, right? Like subcategories, like sliding doors, screen doors, and revolving doors. What about person schemas? They are created to help us understand specific people. For instance, one's schema for their significant other will include the way the individual looks, the way they act, what they like and don't like, and their personality traits. So under this person's schema, we can grow up with schemas like authority figures. Let's say as we are growing up, we did not have a positive encounter with people that have authorities over us. Then maybe when we grow older, we will have issues and challenges with authority figures because of those schemas. Social schemas, they help us understand how to behave in different social situations, obviously. For example, if an individual plans to see a movie, their movie schema provides them with a general understanding of the type of social situation to expect when they go to the movie theater. Event schemas, also called scripts, which... Encompass the sequence of actions and behaviors one expects during a given event. For instance, when an individual goes to see a movie, they anticipate going to the theater, buying their ticket, selecting a seat, silencing their mobile phone, watching the movie, and then exiting the theater. The last I will include as role schemas. Now, this encompasses our expectations of how a person in a specific social role will behave. For example, we expect a waiter to be warm and welcoming and polite. While not all waiters will act that way, our schema sets our expectations of each waiter we interact with. So what are some of your schemas for the role of a mother, uh, the role of a father, the role of a daughter, the role of a sister, and so on and so forth? Earlier, I already mentioned schemas help us interact with the world efficiently. And they help us categorize incoming information so we can learn and think more quickly. As a result, if we encounter new information that fits an existing schema, we can efficiently understand and interpret it with minimal cognitive effort. However, schemas can also impact what we pay attention to and how we interpret new information. Let's say new information that fits an existing schema, it is more likely to attract an individual's attention. In fact, people will occasionally change or distort new information so it will more comfortably fit into their existing schemas. Additionally, it's scientifically proven that schemas also impact what we remember. So if that is the case, that means whatever we notice and or remember things that fit into our schemas, we can also overlook and forget things that don't. In addition, when we recall a memory that activates a certain schema, we may adjust that memory to better fit that schema. So I guess what we are saying here is that while schemas can help us efficiently learn and understand new information, at times they may also derail that process. For example, schemas can lead to prejudice. Some of our schemas will be stereotypes, generalized ideas about whole groups of people, whenever we encounter an individual from that certain group that we have a stereotype about, well, most likely we will expect their behavior to fit into our schema. So this can cause us to misinterpret the actions and intentions of others. Let me give you an example. Let's say, We may believe anyone who is elderly is mentally compromised. So if we meet an older individual who is sharp and perceptive and engage in an intellectually stimulating conversation with them, that would challenge our stereotype. However, instead of changing our schema, we might simply believe the individual was having a good day. Or we might recall the one time during our conversation that the individual seemed to have trouble remembering a fact and forget about the rest of the discussion when they were able to recall information perfectly. So our dependence on our schemas to simplify our interactions with the world may cause us to maintain incorrect and damaging stereotypes. So let me recap by saying a schema is a pre-existing assumption about the way the world is organized. So when new information becomes available, and that's daily, isn't it? a person tries to fit the new information into the pattern which the person has used in the past to interpret information about the same situation. So if the new information does not fit very well, something has to give. So my audience, let me wrap up this episode by giving you an important example of a commonly used schema when it comes to friendship relationships and the schema is balance. So let's say a person has a balanced set of beliefs about his acquaintances. If he believes that all of his friends like each other and all of his enemies also like each other and each of his friends dislikes and is disliked by each of his enemies. Then, a balanced set of friendship relationships provides a tidy view of the world in black and white terms, isn't it? It implies that friends of friends are friends, and enemies of friends are enemies. And enemies of enemies are friends. So more formally, balance can be defined in terms of a set of objects and a set of relationships between them. So my audience, the whole collection is balanced if the objects can be classified into no more than two non-overlapping sets, meaning friends versus enemies so that all the relationships which exist between members of the same set are positive, such as likes. And all the relationships which exist between members of differing sets are negative, such as people that you dislike. Suppose a person interprets the relationships between his acquaintances as fitting a balanced schema, Then, if he receives new information about a particular relationship or about several relationships, he can try to fit this new information into the old interpretation. If the new information fits exactly into his previous expectation, well, obviously, there's no problem. However, if it does not fit exactly, He has a variety of tactical choices. He can try to use the same schema as before with the same interpretation of who are his friends and who are his enemies, right? So this will require discounting the new discrepant information. He might also use the same schema of balance but respecify which people are his friends and which are his enemies. Or he may use another schema entirely and interpret the information as indicating, for example, that there are three different clusters of people rather than the original two, meaning either you are my friend or you are my enemy, i.e. people I like versus people I dislike. My dear audience, let me leave you with this question. What do you think will happen to most of our relationships if we keep on assimilating and clinging on to old or simplified schemas such as right or wrong, good or bad, or balance? let me just emphasize it is critical for us to discern when to assimilate and when to accommodate when new information comes in our life. Because if we don't, will we be able to grow and develop to becoming a better person? What do you think? So until next week, stay safe, learn heaps, and find the courage to be honest. Bye for now. You can find this podcast, to be honest, on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and my website, www.dot.drbarbarakiao.dot.com. D R B A R B A R A K I A O dot